Pray with me. Father, the angels sing of your glory, and we would join them this morning with this choir, with this orchestra, Lord, with the voices you have given us as loud as we can, as deeply as we can. We would acknowledge, God, that you have given us life, and we thank you that that life is the light of humankind. So give us grace, Lord, today to receive that light and to shine that light. Fill us with your joy, Lord. And I pray, Father, that joy would be contagious, that we might be, as we have called ourselves, a community of joy, sharing your joy, rejoicing in the Lord always, always, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been thinking about joy this week as we light the candle of joy, and I was wondering, what is the happiest place in America? And I saw a survey recently that said the city of Boulder, Colorado. Some of you have been there. It's a beautiful place. Melanie and I went there on our way to our honeymoon uh, to Estes Park, and we stopped there in Boulder for a season. It's a beautiful place. I have a nephew who lives there. I'm not sure why it would be the happiest place in America. I have a friend who was born in Happy, Texas, outside of Amarillo. I would think that would be a happy place. But it turns out that with our modern technology, the same kind of technology that allows us uh, to use our phones to Skype, that they have now uh, been able to discern uh, where happiness really is and uh, from satellites and things. And it turns out last night that Waco, Texas was the happiest place in the world. Go figure. Who knew? I don't know where the happiest place in the world is, but I know that 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and let's hear the word of the Lord together. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. While you're turning... Um, um, for those of you who are not football fans, uh, Robert Griffin won the Heisman last night, and that's why Waco was the happiest place. Just clarification there. Let's stand together. Matthew 2. Can't assume that everybody's a football fan. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you, you may be seated. A star is born. We wonder what this light was and uh, astronomers are those who study the stars. Astrologers are, I wanna put this politely, the kooks who think they can interpret our lives through the stars. But astronomers are people who are scientists who look at stars and the scientists have surveyed the sort of astrological landscape of the first century and have discerned that there were a number of events, a sequence of events that might have given this particular light, that, that Halley's Comet came through during those years at some point, that, that sometime during that period of time, as a few years ago in Houston, there was an alignment of a few planets, I think uh, Jupiter and Saturn with uh, the moon, that might have provided the light, but... I was reading this week and one commentator said, yeah, but none of those would shine directly and lead them exactly to the spot where the child was. So this must have been, the commentator said, the Shekinah glory of God appearing in the sky reflecting on the child. We really don't know, and I don't know that it matters. What really matters is the child that the star recognized was the very one, as we have just sung, who created that star. It's uh, interesting to me that the, the great stars in our country will sometimes put their feet in stone as if their footprints there in Hollywood signify their greatness. But it occurs to me that Jesus, this child, he had his fingerprints all over the stars of the universe. It could be that an entirely new star was formed at that very time that a star was born What we know is those magi were desperate to find out the source of this. Often in ancient days, astrological events were... um were connected to, at least in the minds of people, connected to great events here on earth. So, interestingly, they say that when Julius Caesar was killed, that, that there was on that particular day a very bright star in the sky that night, and, and somebody said, look, Julius Caesar has taken his place among the stars. They thought that way. It was a sort of superstitious way, kind of like people today who read their horoscopes. You know, it's all about the stars. We've not come as far as we think we have, I suppose. But these men, we don't know that there were three. We just know that they had three gifts. We, we, we don't know that they were kings. Uh, Magi in those days were a, a priestly caste from the area of Persia. We would say Iran. Um, likely Zoroastrian in their religion as best we discern it in the first century. But they came on a quest And every quest begins with a question, and their question was, where is the one? They knew there was one, and that he was the one, and they wanted to find him. And so they came to Jerusalem, they came to the king, they came to the religious leaders. They thought somebody there would know. Herod didn't know. He was troubled and perplexed, but the religious leaders knew. They knew the verse the reference, they opened their scrolls to Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and said, this is it. He's going to be born in Bethlehem and these men go on their way. And the key verse for me is this verse that says, when they saw the star, 
They were overjoyed. I wish I could characterize it for you from the original language. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. All the joy they had came bursting forth, especially when they saw the child who was the reason for the star. And they were, I suppose, in that moment among the happiest people in the world. Perhaps not more happy than Mary and Joseph who are seeing God's plan unfold. After our music last night, I made my way to a local hospital. One of our young couples uh, brought their firstborn into the world and I got to see uh, Gabriella Fry for the first time last night. It was a, a great moment. I suppose that family is very happy this morning as well. The thought of a child coming into our world is a beautiful thought. What can bring us real joy? Some people say it's material. Some people think it's geographic. If you can just get to the right place. Many in my family, as we traveled around the globe as I was growing up, said, if we could just get back to Texas, if we could just cross the Red River, we would see there's, there's milk and honey flowing everywhere. If we could just get back to this state, then it would all be okay. And, and I've come to believe that happiness is certainly not material and it's not finally geographic, that, that real Joy is found in relationship with the one who created us, that the designer is the only one who can help us to find our reason for being. There was a a kind doctor during my freshman year in college who recognized that I was having a hard time. He was helping me with something medical, but recognized that it was creating some emotional distress for me. And he looked at me and said, you're a believer, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. And he said, I read a a sign in front of a church on my way to work this morning. It said, happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Jesus. And for over 30 years now, I have carried that thought with me. I have no control over the happenings in my life. They can bring happiness or sadness, but but to, but to have Christ in our lives, to have the king, the king residing in residence in our lives as the royal authority in our lives is to fly the flag of joy and to know that the happiest people in the world, the most joyful people, are inevitably those who have centered their lives in relationship with Jesus Christ. These magi show us something about joy. They show us that for the sake of joy, We would go a long way. We travel often at Christmas time. I grew up making journeys with my family from Washington, D.C. over to Chicago, from Great Falls, Montana, over to the Yakima Valley in Washington. It seems like every Christmas we Brookses were on the road to somewhere all the years that we were in the United States. We'll go a, a long way for things that matter a lot to us. I read about a man who had a a concern about his brother who was having health issues. He was no longer allowed to drive. His car keys had been taken away, but they forgot to take away the keys to his riding lawnmower. 186 miles later, he greeted his brother. He said, I just had to know that you were okay. That sounds like a long way to go on a on a lawnmower. Why do we go to great lengths? These magi had left Persia and they had come all the way to Israel. It was not really the center of the ancient world. Israel at this point was just a just a province of the Roman Empire but they came because something greater than Rome was recognizing something greater than they had ever seen before. There was something in the stars that said something was happening in Israel and they had to find out what that was about and that's what caused them to 
make their journey. They were searching for something, dare I say, spiritual, something that would be transforming in their lives. They had studied all of the stars, but they had never seen this star, and they wondered what it meant, and that's why they went so far. A few years ago at Christmas, we found ourselves in in New York City, and we wanted to go to church on Sunday. I didn't know about Tim Keller, if you can imagine. I'd have been at his place if I'd known about Tim Keller at that time. But the, the most obvious place to us seemed to be the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And so we went and, and uh, we heard the choir and we heard a, a very powerful message that morning. It was a beautiful experience of worship. But the most um, amazing memory to me, I don't remember the title of the sermon. I don't remember the song the choir sang. Forgive me for that. But but I do remember trying to find a parking place. I, I remember searching everywhere and just thinking, surely there's one here somewhere. And finally seeing a long line of cars and sort of getting in that line and then driving up and the man saying, $37, please. $37 to park to go to church. I'm thinking this reduces the offerings there. I, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure. But I, I parked the car and then I watched them put it in a in a, in a machine that stacks the cars several deep. And as they, were rise, as they were raising mine all the way to the top, I thought, this is not going to be good when we get out. I, I hate for things like that to distract me when I'm trying to worship. You know what I mean. But I couldn't help but think this is going to take a while. And when we got out of church that morning, we stood in line in the cold in New York City for 45 minutes waiting for them to bring our car down so that we could find a restaurant and eat lunch. And I thought, why do people do this? Maybe you wonder that when you come to church sometimes. Why do people do this? I mean, the sermon was really good. And I don't, I don't mean to take anything away from it. It's better than you'll hear around here. But I'm just, I'm just saying it wasn't that good. <laughs> and I mean, the choir was marvelous, but I like our choir better. And I couldn't understand. And it occurred to me, people do that. They spend $37 for parking. They wait 45 minutes to get their car. Not because church is so good, but because God is so good. And they have this hope that when they come together with God's people, that they might just, they just might that day encounter God. And if they met God, it'd be worth $37 and 45 minutes. It'd be worth a long journey. It'd be worth their whole lives if just for one moment they could connect with God. Is that why you're here? Because that's why I'm here. I know that when God's people come together, God has promised to show up. Oh, and when God shows up, all bets are off. Who knows what happens when God shows up among his people. And for the sake of joy, the joy of knowing God and being with God, we would go a long way. I mean to say the difference is worth the distance, isn't it? If you, if you just know that, that you're going to encounter God. And this is what drove these men to go and to ask the question, where is the one? Because if we can find the one, this was uh, joyful to them, but it was terrifying to Herod. Herod, who was troubled, troubled. And when Herod was troubled, everybody was troubled. If you read his story, I spent one summer with Professor Robert Reed in Waco, one whole summer reading about Herod and, and Rome and Palestine at that time. And, and in that summer, I realized you, you wouldn't want to be Herod's friend. You certainly wouldn't want to be Herod's son because everybody was a threat to his throne and everybody he thought was a threat to his throne, he killed. His, his own sons, he killed. His own wife, he killed. His own mother-in-law, his 
his uh, own brother-in-law. He killed them all because he thought they were part of plots that were going to take away. So Herod is troubled, and naturally, all of Jerusalem is troubled when Herod is troubled, this, this uh, half-Jewish, half-Ijumean king, this one who wanted to control, this puppet of the Roman Empire who really had no real authority. He was troubled, and they were all troubled and so he began to ask not once if you read it closely but over and over again he asks he asks where is he to be born and they all have the same answer what's interesting is as troubled as he was he wasn't troubled enough to go and see for himself the word worship is used three times in these verses they want to worship he says if you find him I want to worship and then when they see him they actually worship. And it occurs to me that he, he delegates to them the right to go and worship the king of the world. Worship can't finally be delegated, can it? It can't be relegated to a, a later time. It, it, must be, it must be chosen by us for ourselves. Nobody can do worship for you. I had a friend who a friend named Fred who lived out in the country in, in Billington, not far from one of our churches. And I would always go and visit him during the revivals and invite him to church. He never actually came. But one time I said to him, Fred, why don't you come to church? He said, my wife gets the preaching done in our family. She does all the singing we need. And I, I on Sundays take care of things around here so that everything will be okay. But it's not okay because you can't delegate worship. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can connect to God for you. you. You can't come to know God by proxy. You have to show up. And so the Magi show up. The religious leaders don't even show up. Can you imagine? They know, they know chapter and verse, though there weren't really chapters and verses back then. They knew exactly where it was in the book of Micah. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And yet, we have no record that they moved a foot to go in that direction, but the Magi, the Magi are still seeking him. And so they leave Herod and it says they, they see the star again. They're on this quest that began with the question, where is the one? And the, the good news is that God is not really playing. The star shows up again, doesn't it? God is not really playing hide and seek with us. He's playing seek and find. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be looking in that, at that in our devotionals in the mornings in January online. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And these magi do exactly that. And because they do, it's inevitably those who seek who find. Because the good news is, while we are seeking God, God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And these magi don't have the right pedigree. They don't have the right protocol. They don't have the right background. They don't have the right heritage but they do have the right hearts. And there's a joy in the journey for them. Remember Michael Card's song, There is a Joy in the Journey? There's a light you can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. And all those who seek him will find him. And the Magi could have said, Amen. 
We sought him and we found him. For the sake of joy, we will go a long way. And for the sake of joy, the Magi teach us, we would give it all away. Can you think of anything that would make you give away everything that you have? I have a friend who's very wealthy, whose children have chosen a different path than he, and he says to me from time to time, I would take all the money I have in the world, which by the way is substantial, and I would give it all away just to know that my children were serving God. Isn't that amazing? What would cause you to give away everything that you have in a consumeristic world where we are consumed by our consumption of things? It seems to me that there must be a better way. I I read just a snippet of a book by James Roberts this week. James Roberts has written a book called Shiny Things, and he asked this question in the subtitle, Why do we spend money that we don't have in search of happiness that we cannot buy. He said a mouthful, didn't he? We do spend money that we don't have. The credit, uh, credit card groups, they understand that well. They market to that, don't they? But the greater truth is that whatever happiness we thought we were going to buy is not ultimately for sale. It's why, it's why these magi, when they come into the presence of the child, instead of saying, what do I get for Christmas? Say, what can I give? And you can imagine them giving gold. We sang it this morning. Thank you, Carlos, for that new, that new hymn written in 2005 what a, by Stuart Getty, by Getty and Townsend. Beautiful, beautiful words. And they say, gold that is a gift for a king. And myrrh that tells us, or excuse me, incense that tells us God is with us, the gift of a priest. And myrrh for the death that will save us. Myrrh, what an, what an odd gift to give to a child. But the Magi know more than the spiritual leaders do. They know that the king that they've been waiting for, the king in the line of David, has finally come. That finally there is a righteous priest who can bring them into the presence of God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. That there is one who will die for their sins to save the world. A friend asked me last night, do you think the Magi understood when they gave the myrrh that Jesus was going to die on the cross? And I said, I don't really know, but I think there's a common grace that that says that even these who were outsiders, even these Gentiles, do you see this theme in these three weeks? Even those on the outside can come on the inside because Jesus Christ came not for some, but for everyone. And so the Magi come and they see and they give these gifts and And by doing so, they show us the secret to real joy. Joy will make you go a long way. Joy will make you give it all away because we have discerned the truth that Jesus taught in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's the last thing we hear Jesus say. It's after the Gospels, isn't it? And what does it say? It is more blessed. That word means happy. It is more happy to give than to receive. Now, I had the chance, I've had the chance already to go to eight different um, of our Christmas parties. I'll go for more this weekend. I'm shooting for the record this year. And and a lot of you do this this, white elephant thing. And it's a great study in human nature, you know? Because if, you know, I mean, most of the gifts. I went to one this weekend. All the gifts were really nice. I thought, these people don't know how to play this game. (laughs) You go to Jerome's house and they give stuff that people never want to see again. But, but, 
But this party, people were given really, really nice hand-painted Christmas ornaments. And it's amazing how quickly those who received those would rewrap them and put them aside. Lest, you know, the game, lest they be taken away. And those who took them. And it was just, it was a, the one I went to this week. It was a beautiful beautiful party, but just a reminder of our human nature that we really believe the opposite of what Jesus said. We really believe it's more happy to receive than it is to give. That's why we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need, to impress people, dare I say, that we don't even like. (laughs) We do that. And why? Because we think it's more happy to receive than it is to give. But Jesus says, no, it's, it's the opposite of that. One group has come up with an idea. You can Google it. A hundred things, they call it. What if you reduced your number of possessions to 100 things? You say, oh, that'd be easy. I doubt it. I, doubt. I know Mother Teresa carried everything she had in the world in a paper bag. But most of us have a lot more than that. To reduce to 100 things would be traumatic for some of us. But there is a joy in simplicity. There is a joy that comes. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down to where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend. It says they bowed down and they worshipped him. To bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight till by turning, turning, we come around right. God has called us to the simplicity of giving things away. One church decided they would build a pediatric clinic in Malawi, Africa. They had never done anything like that. It would cost them 160000 More interesting than the amount of money they gave was the way they came up with it. The people who gave up their Christmas vacations, the others who said... Uh, we will sell toys, we will sell candy, we will, we will forego this and that. And the one couple that said, we'll give the money we were saving for our fertility treatments. Better that we should care for children who are already in the world than to wait to receive children that we don't yet have. That's amazing love. It's the kind of love that would cause God to give his only begotten son for people like us it's a beautiful story of giving a reminder that you and I can give something to God we can give something away that will bring us great joy I love Tony's prayer I love the way Tony uh, helps us by keeping this place orderly and beautiful every week and his prayer this morning just reminds us that we're just one part of the world and And I heard a story from Haiti this week. Richard Starnes, who is the head of World Vision, tells about going down to Haiti after the earthquake and seeing the people who lived in the tent city and finding the tent church held together with duct tape. And the amazing lady with the prosthetic leg and prosthetic arm leading worship that morning, lifting one arm high to God. He had to hear her story, so he went home to her tent, five feet by eight feet, with her two daughters, eight and ten years old, and said, why do you worship so joyfully? And she said, I was Lazarus 
when the earthquake came, I was trapped. My arm and my leg were pinned in the rubble for four days. I was Lazarus. I was dead for four days. I knew I was dead. And then after four days, they found me. And Jesus, like Lazarus, called me forth from the tomb. And do you know why he did that? She said confidently. And Richard Starn said, no, tell me why. And she said, so that I can take care of my two daughters and so that I can give him praise for giving me life. Christina Rossetti ministered to those women who were coming out of prostitution, some of them 12 years old. That's what she was doing when she was writing this poem. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a magi, I'd do my part. What can I give him? Give him my heart. And if you and I were to do that, I am confident that this place would be the happiest place in the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace. Thank you for saving us from our sin Thank you for making your presence known as we worship you for the beautiful music we have heard this weekend, Lord. You have lifted our souls to the heights. And so now, Lord, we pray that the angels in heaven would rejoice as somebody in this place gives their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.